When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Uh, yeah, Dave and I played in the first uh, Redcast Invitational over the weekend, and I'm still looking for my ball in hole 12. <laughs> I'm uh, also with Mac. What up, Redcasters? The boys from the Big Ten Network were in town this weekend. We're going to talk a little about what they saw. Uh, they actually got to look behind the veil a little, so exciting stuff. They did get uh, the treatment there. They saw a lot more than most of the media has seen all uh, fall camp. Also with Boomer. Uh, Redcast fans, I just want to let you know um, I'm already in line for Scott Frost autographs for the 2019 Fan Day, so so far it doesn't look too deep, but if you'd like to come in, I'm willing to sell this space, and we'll talk the price when you get here. That's that's the uh, that's capitalism right there, you know? You, Arbitrage opportunity, Dave. Arbitrage. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, another big week in fall camp. We are, I think, now 14 practices into a 20 practice uh, camp before week one preparations kick off. Uh, things are happening fast and furious, but we still do not have a starting quarterback name. Uh, lots of stuff uh, were on, was shown on uh, BTN Network over the weekend. Saturday was Nebraska Day. Uh, Mac, what did you, you think of uh, uh, the BTN crew's initial reactions? Well, not surprisingly, Dave, they, they came off pretty impressed. It's, it's kind of been the case this year when any kind of national media comes in, sits down with Frost, gets a chance to look at the team, they all walk away very impressed, you know, kind of convert believers to, well, you know what, I actually think Scott Frost can get this done in pretty short order time. So, you know, kind of more of the same, but satisfying nonetheless, you know, talking about how (laughs) this was, they actually saw the practice right after a scrimmage the day before. And, you know, traditionally those are going to be dead leg practices and, you know, not as good an effort. But everybody commented on how the energy was up and how everybody was focused. Uh, they, you know, had seen some teams with some tired legs so far in this tour. And getting into Nebraska, they were just like, nope, these guys are fresh and ready to go, which we know is an absolute difference from last year's team. So if nothing else, that shows you a little team buy-in, you know, just a little bit of glimpse of what's going on uh, in practice. So uh, overall, real shining, shining reports. You know, no one's really adjusting their win totals. You know, everybody's comfortable with that seven to eight mark, but they've all kind of hedged their bets to like, ah, you know, Nebraska could do some damage. They could be dangerous. So uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. We're yeah, all hedging. I think one yeah. of uh, DiNardo's tweets, I'll, I'll let you jump in, Hunk, but one of his tweets I think was the uh, the offensive-defensive lines looked, you know, essentially be at that second tier with Wisconsin and Michigan and Penn State just behind Ohio State, essentially. Uh, so that, that's that's a good indication. Hawk? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think the, the BTN guys, they've really hedged their bets, as you said, Mac. They've, and a lot of people are right now. They 
come out and they say, oh my gosh, the lines look better, these guys look in better shape, the running backs are amazing, the receivers, this is one of the best receiving cores, you know, these quarterbacks, they look dynamic and stuff. Oh, but they'll go seven and five. Right. I mean, right. you know, I'm not I'm not ready to throw out ten and two or anything, but but boy, these guys all look great. And then at the end of the year, if the if the team, you know, lives up or, or you know, actually does better than than suggested, then we can always go back and say, see, we told you how great these guys are looking. So I don't know. But I will say, nobody was hedging their bets last year. Nobody was like saying this team could do some damage if they get hot. I'm like, they were the, the, the expectations were higher certainly, but I mean like. That they talk about this team and this practice differently than last year for sure. Well, I will say this, though. And how much do we put into what the BTN guys talk about the practice? Because it was a year ago where Donardo was saying, this team looks like Wisconsin practicing. We look like that again. Like, you know, um, the run-pass ratios may not be exactly the same, but this looks like the same offense, looks like the same team. So are we buying something too much? Well, I don't know if he ever said we looked like a good version of Wisconsin last year. He just said it looked like the same scheme. You got to read between the lines there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I I understand. I mean, uh, you know, and I mean, there's a. They see all 14 teams, which is a unique experience. Uh, I was just listening to Dave Razine on, uh, I think it was the bottom line. Uh, last Friday, and he was uh, talking to Severe and saying uh, what a unique experience that is. He also made light of some things like strength and conditioning. Like every time there's a new strength and conditioning coach, you know, it, the last strength coach didn't know what the heck he was doing, and they they were horrible. And suddenly that everything is flipped. So every program goes through this where you have uh, a, a regime change, and everything sounds uh, rosy. So uh, hopefully this time around, obviously it's it's a different result for us. All right, guys. Uh, Honky, anything news or notes uh, from the scrimmage on Friday? Uh, as I mentioned in the opening, we are uh, still living with a two-quarterback world. Yeah, I mean, there there really hasn't been much. I'm guessing here in the the early part of this week, we're going to get press conferences starting to come out where they can start to kind of identify who starters are. Because basically, Frost was saying by the end of this week, by Thursday, Friday. We're no longer in fall camp. We are in install week of Akron. We are actually preparing for an opponent. So that's starting. Literally, we're recording on Sunday night. Probably three, four days tops from now, we're, we're going to be talking Akron. Yeah, well, the door seemed to be uh, cracked open a little bit to a, some sort of platoon or two-quarterback system. Not that they won't name a starting quarterback, but um, opposed to maybe not seeing that second quarterback until mop-up duty, hopefully mop-up duty against Akron. We may see both of them uh, earlier in the game. What are you guys' uh, thoughts on that? Is that just a smokescreen? Are they really serious about this? Or is it um, just delaying the announcement? I know I do think there's some actual truth to that because any way you slice it, neither one of these guys have had significant play time. So... And then there's nobody behind them that's seen significant play time. So even at the beginning of the year, even if someone separates themselves to an extent, it'll probably be better served if we let the backup get some meaningful snaps early in the year to kind of see him get a feel for it as well. Uh, just because of the need might be there. If it, let's say it's Jebbia, you know, the kid is not huge. You know, it'd be reasonable to think he'd go down at some point. And then to bring in Adrian Martinez, who has never seen significant snaps, would be... You know, probably 
probably poorly planned, and that's not something the staff seems to do. So I wouldn't be surprised to see two early on, and then we'll just kind of go from there. But so no, I don't me, think it's smokescreen. I really think we'll, we'll probably we'll probably get to see both of these guys early. Sure. Uh, let me throw out a, a scenario then, Hawk, or two scenarios, and tell me what the kind of un- unintended consequences that that may occur. Let, let's say they go ahead and start Adrian Martinez from day one, uh, but he struggles, and they have to bring Tristan Jebbia in. What does that uh, result in for this season and then going forward in the program with, with the quarterbacks? I suppose it would all be about what Jebbia would do with that opportunity. If Jebbia took it over and became a you know an all-conference kind of player, that's that's one thing. If he comes in and, and leaves the door open with, with his play, then obviously – a guy like Martinez, you know, is always he's young. He'll have that opportunity to come back and 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 re-earn the spot, I guess, so to speak. Yeah, in, in that com- scenario, I think competition would immediately start over again next spring. Like it would, the door would be open for either. But yeah, I think it's just going to ride the hot hand this year. Is kind of my feeling on it. Whoever yeah. comes out and does the best, because I, what I think they they've said this is. They believe in the playmakers we have outside of the quarterback. You know, what's important is getting these guys the ball. So that's, you know, we're not going to need necessarily a really dynamic run game from the quarterback this year because of the weapons we have outside and at the tight end position. At least that's kind of how I'm reading this. So there's probably a greater value on a guy who can get the ball out to him, you know, make the defense respect that. Um, you know, to give us our best chance to win this year. Yeah. Well, Dave, you rushed back to Colorado today from uh, Columbus, but you listened to Osborne talk about the two-quarterback system. And what did, what did he say about it today at that, that event? Yeah, I mean, he, he spoke uh, at the Columbus Days pep rally and uh, mentioned that he, you know, feels, feels like they're in a good position by having two quarterbacks that are ready to play and that um, – that he thinks that they're going to run those quarterbacks, they're going to be running quarterbacks, and in that case, you want to have two two quarterbacks ready to play because the odds of one of them getting injured is you know goes up, and so he, he kind of spun it in a very positive manner, you know, which I think is you know the exact right way to think about this. Um, I, I think I you, we need to kind of take the gloves off of this a little bit. You know, big-time programs get four or five sort of quarterbacks in every year, and uh, the the hurt feelings or the disappointment of someone that was uh, kind of, you know, designated the chosen one, uh, kind of like how Adrian Martinez is right now, um, not getting that um, because they got beat out of a fair and square competition, and then it's going to be the next guy up, you know, and so... I just think it's interesting because um, I think most people had thought that Adrian Martinez was going to take this job just because he was suited for the offense. But uh, to Max's point about uh, Jebbia being a distributor to our playmakers, he may ultimately start, and he may actually excel at this to the degree that we don't see Adrian Martinez as much this year. And that uh, is another scenario where, like, what does that actually mean? What if Adrian Martinez barely sees the field this year? And uh, Jebbia has a great year and, and uh, is a clear-cut starter in 2019. I, I think the one thing that, that holds true in either of your scenarios there, Dave, is that I, I believe this is the year that Jebbia has to do it. There isn't – I don't think he can just sit back and, and, and ride along and then next year he's going to be in that competition again. By next year, you're already starting to get McCaffrey kind of players getting recruited into the system and Vedrill's back into it. And – 
this is the time, this is the moment. If a Jebby is going to do it, this is the year. And just quite frankly, it almost makes sense that, that he could do it this year because the, the, the makeup of this team with the receivers that this team has, his strengths could be, a, could be built perfectly for this. And this is, a year, this is an offense where it can change a lot from one year to the next. You could be almost an exclusive option offense one year in this offense, and the next year you could be throwing it like a, you know, a traditional spread team you know, is thought of throwing it. I mean, it can be a lot of different types of styles, um, but this receiving core is going get, to get some passes thrown to them. So, I mean, if, if that's Jebbia this year, it's Jebbia. I think we all long for dynamic quarterback play. We're all so excited to see a true dual threat that we're rooting for Adrian Martinez. I know I kind of am, just to kind of see that part of the game again. But I really would be excited about a team that scored touchdowns on offense. No matter how – I know. <laughs> and we said the same – and look, we said the same thing. I, I want the dynamic quarterback. But last year on the show, I made the statement with Tanner Lee and that offense. It's like, I don't, at this point, just score – forget the run-pass ratio, just score. If, it, if you have to throw it 80 times, do it. So, I mean, same thing applies, I guess, in that regard this year. All right, guys, let's move on to uh, all things college football in our next segment. Sweep left. All right, guys, next on the Go Big Redcast, we are going sweep left, our wide-angle view of all things college football, trying to do a little season preview uh, for the entire uh college landscape and uh i've got just an idea here maybe we can just talk about what are we looking forward to most from like a storyline perspective uh going forward this season uh boomer why don't we start with you what's your number one storyline number one well i've got a lot of number ones but i think uh, just <laughs> one of your top top all right keeping it uh, in conference um i think one of the intriguing stories of the season is going to be the you know the the Big Ten East just trying to see how good their football really should be. I mean, on paper, you've got what three, four teams that theoretically could be playoff contenders there, but unfortunately, with this off season, they've been dealing with all sorts of very, very regrettable issues. You know, just how well, how good is the football going to end up being? Will Durkin survive in Maryland even start the season? Don't know. Meyer going to be there? I think we all. Suspect he will be, but, you know, I'm sure they're independent blue ribbon panels really getting into the fact-finding there, so no worries. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a big question. What on paper is probably the best, what really should be, unless you're ESPN, the best division in college football. You know, how good is it actually going to be with all the off-season distractions they've had? Yeah, absolutely. Honky, you want to jump in? Well, you know, Dave, you've been pretty high on Michigan, and I guess with that, what Boomer was bringing up there, the, the issues that Michigan State has had over the off-season, off the field, they – the issues, obviously, though, Ohio State's now fallen themselves into. I mean, do you kind of see this as a, a chance that it's ripe for Michigan to actually, you know, kind of break through? Well, uh, I do think that Michigan might be better than expected. Um, I think we are going to do our Big Ten uh, preview here a little bit later in the show, and I, I think that I may may uh, be pretty high on Michigan. I, I think their schedule is difficult. They do go on the road to Ohio State and Michigan State. But um, that defense is going to be awfully salty. And uh, I think that offense might be better than expected. I think Shea Patterson might be the real deal. And, um, you know, I think we've had discussions here before on, on, you know, is that the right fit for Harbaugh's offense? But I was looking at his stats at Ole Miss last year. Guy threw for like 2,300 yards, all betting some, some losses and, and some, some wins against lower 
opponents, but he barely ran the ball. So he was actually a pro-style guy at Ole Miss uh, in year two there. So I think he can do whatever he wants, and Harbaugh might actually draw from his NFL experience a little bit with Kaepernick on, on how to get some run game in there as well. So I think Michigan might be better than expected, and I do think there's about four teams there, right, that legitimately think they could be, make the playoffs. you got Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State all think that they can make the playoffs. You can't think of another uh, division in college football that can say the same. I mean, the SEC West, whatever ESPN, they, they may yeah. have two, I guess, right? Yeah, not even close. Yeah, not even it's close. not even close. Um, so I, I just think it's loaded. And I, I, maybe, Boomer, you can look up the schedule here a little bit, but some of those matchups um, should be make some really good TV viewing. We should have multiple top ten matchups on national TV from the Big Ten West this year, or Big Ten East this year, excuse me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've just been talking, you know, the door opening for Michigan. I mean, I, you'd really think the door should be wide open for Penn State as well, too. I mean, they've got, you know, they're kind of sliding under the radar, letting everyone else take hits with, you know, horrible offseason issues this time of year. And, <laughs> you know, they get Ohio State at home this year. They get Michigan State at home. They do travel to Michigan, and they do get Wisconsin as a crossover. But otherwise, you know, it is somewhat favorable to them. And, Mm-hmm. Got kind of the softer start to the season, so with App State, Pitt, Kent State, Illinois, so they can kind of get warmed up until that big uh, uh, late September meeting with Ohio State. So that'll be a fascinating run to watch as well, too. Yeah. Yep. Well, we are we are breaking down the Big Ten later, so I mean we probably should move on to the next storyline. But I agree there, Boomer. Penn State's Penn State's one that's kind of a little bit under the radar in that regard. Absolutely. All right, Mac. What's your uh, storylines you're looking forward to? I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how these uh, second-year big-name coaches are, you know, how close they are to kind of breaking through and seeing what they're going to do in year two. You know, Herman down in Texas, obviously P.J. Fleck, you know, they had enough time to get their culture in place. Uh, you know, Brom in, in Purdue, you know, there's a guy to watch. I feel like – I don't feel like that was fluky what he did there. Uh, so just to, just to name a few that I'm kind of curious, I'm like, is how long does it take to get your culture shifted? And, you know, a guy like Herman in that kind of – recruiting base you'd think that would be a quick turnaround if he's at all for real so yeah i think that's a really good point and i think it obviously piques nebraska fans interest in the sense that frost is you know kind of will be in that situation next year you know it kind of makes me think of uh i think i heard something on sirius xm college sports uh over the weekend where they were talking about college programs that have the dna to win a national championship uh and so you're essentially saying you need really good fan base, you need the uh, funding and and um, the facilities, and then you uh, need to have the re- recruiting uh, prowess to actually get that done. And I, I can't, I don't know if they had Nebraska in that or not. That's not really the point. But point is, that there's only so many programs that can think we've we've got a situation here that we can be striving to win a national championship, and that takes the right coach, right? And uh, you know, I wonder we, as Nebraska fans, right now think that Scott Frost is the right coach to deliver us a national championship. How many other of these programs, like Texas, have a coach that's relatively early in their tenure but are thinking the same way, that we got the right guy. We are going to win a national championship and join that very elite club, which right now is at four, I believe, of active coaches with a national title. Um Tom Herman, I would imagine Texas feels that way right now. But, hey, you know, they went, what, 7-6 and six last year. Um, Georgia might be another one, Mac, you know, oh, yeah. obviously. I would definitely think Kirby Smart's got to be making Georgia fans feeling pretty good right now. And the way they're recruiting 
it's just been lights out. So if there's a formula for that, I mean, my goodness, he has been hitting the bricks on those recruits. And Georgia has just been ridiculous lately in terms of what they're putting out for prospects. So um, they've got to feel really good. I, I think if I was a Penn State fan, I'd be feeling like my guy's in the right spot. Same deal up there. He has been recruiting lights out, and the, they've already shown returns in the field. Penn State's a program on the rise. I would think they are feeling like really that. comfortable. You mentioned uh, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, and I would not include them in that category. <laughs> but, but I would include them in the category of uh, drink every time they talk about uh, the youth in that program. Yes. Uh, Mac, I think yeah, you had I a little saying, drinking yeah, game on if, that. If you ever catch a P.J. Fleck interview this year about talking about his team, I don't care if this interview is five minutes long. If you take a shot every time he says freshman, youth, <laughs> young, or inexperienced, you will be shmammed. There's no way. He'll need a full bottle of Jack. The guy wants to get it across to us that his team is young. We got a lot of freshmen. School your ma. You know, rode the boat, but they're young. So I got to teach them every day because they're fresh. They're freshmen. They just got here. It's like year zero again. Yeah. Year zero minus one because they're freshmen. <laughs> I don't know if I've been clear about that. It's Find them some time. I like it, PJ. Yeah. Hey, Hockey, who do you have in, in your mind on this one? Uh, well, for, at least for like an elite coach, he's not a second-year guy, but I think someone that could, that could get – has the DNA to get over that hump. I like Chris Peterson at, at Washington. Um, oh, just, great, choice, great choice. I just think he's a great coach. It's not, it's not even that I think – I almost – I don't know that I'm going to pick Washington to win the Pac-12 when we do our picks, but the – but that doesn't matter. But it's just him in general. He's one of those elite level coaches. I think whether he ever wins it or not is is a moot point. They're just guys that are at a, at a level where it's like you at least feel you can win it with this person. And and I don't know that I feel that if I was Michigan with Harbaugh. I'm just saying I'm using him as an example of a guy that I don't know that I feel that that we'd be winning titles with Harbaugh. But but Peterson is a guy that I feel. He, he's he's close, man. He's there, and he, he's done. And he has such a track record in history with Boise and what he's already done with Washington. He's a guy I'd throw up there. Nobody, you know, nobody talks about Paul Christ, but I mean, like, he's got to be. If you're a Wisconsin fan, you've got it. I don't know how he does it so quietly. Maybe because they don't feel like it's the coaches as much as it is the program. And I get that to an extent, but yeah, guy's done pretty good, you know. Yeah, I think Wisconsin's as close as they've ever been to joining the elite. Yep, I think that's fair to say. Boomer. Your thoughts? Uh, well, I think uh, another coach that's gone back home to the alma mater um, and has done pretty well. Again, not a second-year coach, but third-year Mark Rick down in Miami. Like it, Boomer. So, I mean, he had them. He had them knocking on the door of the playoffs last year. What were they up to? Number two, I think, before yep. they imploded right. against Pitt towards the end of the year. And then they just kind of fell apart, you know, against Clemson and Wisconsin in the bowl game. But you know, he got them. You know, nine wins, ten wins. He won their division last year, so. You know, with talent there, it shouldn't take a whole lot. He's shown he could do it, and that might be just what they need. They'll get back to the Miami of old, I guess. Or are they just, the just yeah. going to get back to the Georgia of, of old? Of, that's possible. You know, that's the too. other thing, yeah, too. There's that possibility. But I think for where Miami was, they have to feel okay with having him as a coach. I think they'd be pleased with it. I, I would yeah, agree with no, you. I agree. Was, was he there well, when Jimmy throw. Johnson was there, or was he there right before Jimmy got there? Mark Richt, when he played for Miami. I think he was with uh, Howard Gosh. Snellenberger. Yeah, was he yeah, on the was he on the '83 right. team? Boomer, maybe so. maybe you could look that up. Boomer, was he on the '83 team that that beat Nebraska? Because I, I always wonder about him and culture fit. Like, because Miami certainly shifted after that, and like, you know, as much as Frost is such a culture fit for us, mm-hmm. there is probably a definite culture fit for Miami to be successful. Kind of 
kind of walk that fine line between doing the right things and the wrong things, you know, carrying that <laughs> and, Miami swag. Isn't that crazy that Rick is a guy that could be called right for the Miami culture, but he was also right for the Nebraska one being from Omaha? You know, there's not too many guys that could be that could be the right fit culturally for both Miami and Nebraska. That seems yeah. seems and like I don't I, I don't know if he's the right fit for Miami. Really, I agree. I guess, well, that's why that, we're looking it up. That's why I was asking that question. Uh, like, is, is he of that era? He played 78 to 82 under Schnellenberger. So backed up Jim Kelly. So just before. Yeah, I knew he backed up Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. So really, just before. It's interesting. Okay. Well, let me throw out some other names here, uh, and you can just rapid fire here a little bit. All right. Um, Let's go. Uh, let's uh, stay down south. Uh, Dan Mullen at Florida, one of my favorite hires. I think that guy can get it turned around quick. So Florida fans are, are should feel good about. They should feel. Good. They should. They should. Feel they good. should definitely feel good. I think it's that a was good enough, hire. I, that was I, enough. I don't grade. know if it's what Florida fan wants, but I think it's a good. He's a good coach. I don't see how he can't not be. Yeah, my question really comes down to as the fan base right now feeling warm and fuzzy and thinking they're gonna start competing for, for national championships or at least playoffs in the near future. I, so, Dave, I think this is a, an example of where being the right fit at a place is important, and I, I think Mullen could have more success at Florida than what Frost would have had because Frost wouldn't have been given any – he wouldn't have been given any passes there like he could be here, right? I mean, that's, sure. that wasn't the case, and I think he's a perf- – I think Mullen's a perfect fit back in Gainesville. Gotcha. All right. Uh, how about uh, Pruitt at Tennessee? Tennessee fans uh, seeing uh, titles. I would, I would doubt it. I think that whole thing was such a, a bad start. I, I would think they're concerned about this season. I would be. Fair enough. Chip Kelly at UCLA. Oh, man, I don't. I don't. Do UCLA fans even think about national titles. Do they think about football? I don't know. I mean, it. It's one of those. Is. A lot of things you want to see there is Kelly going to be able to, you know, put the band back together and succeed again like he used to, or is the sport kind of passing him by after his years in the NFL and kind of vanishing, falling off the face of the earth? I don't know. I, and then, I, yeah, UCLA could, you know, fit. I don't know. But What's his staff down there? Because I know he doesn't have Helfrich and he doesn't have Frost, and those are two pretty important guys to, to get that system up and going. And so, I mean, One that's would the, argue he was – they were together with him for all his best years of coaching. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a legitimate question there, but I just in general, I mean, unless you're going to bring back the great Bob Toledo, I just don't know if you know what what UCLA's uh, uh, future and sure, what last time they, yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, they're definitely were highly ranked that year, and they've had a few other good years that they were highly ranked, but yeah. uh, they haven't won a title since. I mean, or even really competed for one for this in the since the '60s, probably. So, yeah. but. Um, they went out and got a big hire. Let's, yeah. let's give them credit for that, right? I mean, the, you don't hire Chip Kelly to just think you're going to go nine and three and finish second in the Pac-12 South, you know? Right, and and it's not unheard of for UCLA to go out there and sign a really good class. They get good football players out there. You know, it's a culture thing. It's a fit thing. Uh, I'm kind of with Honky on the fact that let's just see how he does it again. Is it going to be hard to catch? You know, lightning in a bottle again. This isn't new sure. now, so. Um, yeah, that that one's interesting. It's got potential. I mean, the Pac-12 potential. I think he has Paul Rhodes on his uh, defensive staff and a couple he other former head coaches. Coach, so, yes. yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give Lovey some place to go after Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? Any other names? Maybe Justin Fuente, of Virginia Tech. Um, yeah. 
the Arkansas guy, any, anybody, other fan base, is Arkansas excited with Chad Morris? I mean, eh. no. No. So, so those are guys who have just been hired recently, and they're, you're already thinking the fan base is like, I don't think this guy's well, going to get it done. Dave, Dave, I think those are examples of the schools that don't have the DNA to win the title that yeah. you're talking about. Mm. And, and so point. Not, that, not that the fan base, at, I don't know what Arkansas feels about, about the guy, but just in general, I don't think of Arkansas as being a team that's, going to be competing for that playoff sure. anyways. How about LSU with uh, Ed? Orgeron? Oh, boy. Yeah. No. There's no way. The There's countdown no way. for him leaving started the day he was hired. He had, to, he had to prove more early because he already has a track record of being not a great head coach. So he's already kind of proven that they're, they're leveled out. I, you know, like maybe Texas A&M, they have to feel good about Jimbo. Um but, yeah, I mean it's early to say. Money they're spending, Arizo- yeah, they better. Yeah. You know, yeah. Arizona, I think, with Sumlin and with uh, the QB, what Tate? Uh, oh, Khalil Tate. Tate. Yeah, yeah Tate. Get, uh, that's back to my initial premise, though. Is does Arizona have the DNA to compete for national titles? And that's probably a no. So probably not. Um, yep. A&M right, definitely uh, should taggered at Florida State. I don't know. That, that'd be close. Yeah, yeah be that's a good point. He's a better fit there than yeah, Oregon. I mean, yep. Yep. That's right. All right, uh, Honky, what is uh, your uh, your top storyline? I guess it kind of falls in line with what we were just talking about, but do you have a team that nobody is talking about right now for playoff level? Let's just let's say that. It doesn't necessarily have to be national champs, but is there somebody nobody's talking about that you think is a playoff contender? Dave, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, I could say Michigan, but I'll save that for the Big Ten uh, preview. But I'll, I'll go. Uh, how about Texas? I'll throw Texas Ooh, out there. That's it. That's a good one. Um, if we believe that Scott Frost can turn this around in two years, um, why can't Tom Herman do that at Texas? Uh, if they can figure out their quarterback situation, that's a big if, and, and actually get some good play out of there. They definitely have a lot of talent, and uh, the the Big uh, Twelve. It could be wide open outside of Oklahoma, I think. And so um, I, th- I think uh, Texas could be a lot better than expected. I think Phil Steele has, has them very high in his power pool, like fifth or sixth. So he has a, a lot of uh, numbers there that like the Longhorns. So I'll take Texas. Okay, Boomer, how about you? Well, I'm sticking in the Big 12 as well. I'm going with uh, West Virginia. So I think they've got a possibility to, you know, win the Big 12. They're going to have a heck of an offense, got dynamic quarterback play, you know, one of the best, you know, quarterbacks possibly in college football. And they've got, you know, the schedule, they've got possibilities there if they can do well in it. You've got, you know, they play Tennessee and NC State, so they could get wins against, you know, the SEC and the ACC. They get Oklahoma and TCU at home, you know, with the burning couches of Morgantown. That can set anyone off a little. You know, they if they can just have anything resembling – anything like a defense they should be able to put up a vast number of points i'd think suitable for the big 12 and good shot of sneaking into playoffs i think at least from an outside perspective something a little different i like it and mac what are you thinking um i'm gonna go out to the pac 12 i and i don't know maybe it's not completely underrated but i feel like anybody out too far west doesn't get talked about seriously for any kind of you know, playoff run or anything like that. But I do think Washington is is right where it needs to be. I just really like Peterson. I think I think he's can can put it together. That's a team I'm really interested in watching out there. I, I think it's fair to say no one's talking about them in the sense that they've taken a year off from being in the playoffs. So I don't know that people are looking at them as a playoff team this year. So 
I'll allow it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think the Huskies, <laughs> if anybody is taking anybody from the Pac-12 to make the playoffs, it's, it is Washington. Uh, but on a national scale, they're definitely still a little bit under the radar. But yeah. they're definitely a favorite in the Pac-12, which puts them right there in that discussion, depending on their win-loss uh, record. Okay. Well, I'm going to follow with Boomer in the Big 12, and I'm going to go TCU. And I just TCU again. Well, I I love what TCU does. I, I think Patterson's <laughs> last year. You're high in TCU. Well, and TCU, and frogs, and TCU did 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 me well last year. I mean, they you know that's right. Um, and Patterson's a heck of a coach. Their defense is mostly coming back, and and most of their offense is back in place. We talked about that a, a week or two ago. The big thing is going to be with their quarterback. They lose Kenny Hill. Is between Sean Robinson. They have a couple other guys going for it. I think Robinson's probably going to win it if they get good QB play. They've got a lot of other pieces around it. They're, actually, they're not far removed from how we, we're talking about our offense right now at Nebraska. If they get their QB in, in, in place, they've got a lot of pieces around it, and we know what Patterson does on D. So, anyways, that's, uh, that pretty much is the teams no one's talking about. That kind of ends the storyline section. Uh, I think after this, Dave, we should probably hit to the, uh, hit to the mailbag. All right, Honk, yeah, let's go to the mailbag. But before, I don't want to leave that topic of surprise teams because I just noticed that we just named three Big 12 teams there. I took Texas, Boomer took West Virginia, you took uh, the Horned Frogs at TCU, uh, which kind of makes sense because Oklahoma's the only Big 12 team on the radar. It's interesting that we didn't take the SEC, any teams from the SEC, uh, which is maybe not a surprise from us, but I've heard national pundits out there like, They'll always throw out some SEC teams as their dark horse contender. I heard someone name Mississippi State as their dark horse playoff <laughs> contender. Are you serious? I mean, like, can you name anybody in the SEC outside of Georgia and Alabama that you really think is going to win the national title this year? Maybe Auburn, I guess? I don't know. I mean, geez. Maybe Joe Burrow no. turns LSU around. He's going to start, they said. Mm. Uh, if they would say LSU, at least they have. But Mississippi State, come on, guys. Right, yeah. Right. Try harder. It's just kind of either trying to just generate clicks or just appease the, you know, SEC overlords and just, they gotta, you know, they call the SEC West the toughest conference in football, so they have to try to justify <laughs> it somehow, so let's just throw them all out there. I, I guess I don't know so. what else you could say, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mississippi sure. State with a first-year head coach, they're calling a dark horse candidate, oh, good grief. Uh, I, someone, someone I heard, well, it was, maybe it was just a win the SEC, someone said, you know, maybe Kentucky. I'm like, what? Kentucky? <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I could throw out 14 names if you'd like. But, I, mean, yeah. I mean, the only thing that's more ridiculous than that is saying Vanderbilt could win the SET, <laughs> SEC East. That's ridiculous. Well, it is the East. I don't know. It's a little more wide open, but yeah. Well, I mean, well now we're talking about some underappreciated teams. Well, let's get to the mailbag and talk about a couple of underappreciated yes. players. The question that we have this week is from Jack in Omaha. And he, uh, he says, long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, who is the most underappreciated, underrated player in Nebraska history? And he threw out a couple of examples uh, that he has, at least. Jamal Lord and Rory Hallou were his examples there. I think both, you know, pretty credible guys for this category. Uh, Boomer, I'm going to start off with you. Who do you have as a couple of uh, uh, underappreciated, underrated players in, in new history? Well, I'm going old school, which is no surprise. And when I say old school, I'm going really old school. So the most underappreciated or underrated player I was opting for um, is uh, Richard uh, Dick Rutherford from the uh, 1913 through 1915 Husker football. He was a contemporary of uh, Husker greats Vic Halligan and Guy Chamberlain. Uh, Came out of Beatrice uh, when he um, 
first uh, year here, he was 165 pounds. By year two, he was uh, 167 pounds, which would tell you a lot <laughs> about the uh, strength and conditioning and training tables back in the uh, pre-World War One days. But um, he was a three-time All-Conference player for us. Uh, he was a halfback. Uh, started off, you know, with Vic Halligan in the backfield, you know, getting a lot of carries and... Uh, you know, he was known really for pushing the line more than actually scoring points. At 167 pounds? Yeah, it was a different game back then, Dave. So, But, yeah, he was a, yeah. <laughs> I would a say different. so. No but uh, that's a part, that would be Jumbo uh, Stein. Yeah, these, these are E-World Jumbo right Steam's there, right? uh, national, or excuse me, uh, conference championship uh, teams. You know, he had that great run of uh, uh, Missouri Valley Conference titles. And uh, what happened in a... Yeah, and the 1914 season is when a Guy Chamberlain came over from Nebraska Wesleyan, and, you know, he was just a super talented, you know, halfback. Transfer. Yeah, transfer. Yeah, it was a transfer from Nebraska Wesleyan to uh, to the Huskers. And really what happened is, uh, you know, Rutherford kind of took a step back and became more of just a real blocking left halfback, and he was well known for, you know, just tearing open holes through lines and everything for uh, – for Guy Chamberlain, you know, who goes on to be probably our first great player known nationally, you know, went to the That's pros, right. All-American. And actually, when a, many, many years later, when Guy Chamberlain was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame, he came and, you know, gave his speech, and he actually said he wanted to share that with the entire, you know, 1914-1915 Huskers. And he actually singled out uh, Rutherford, and he said he was, you know, he wanted to pay tribute to his blocking teammate, and he said that, you know, he was the, was the standout halfback till I got there, but you know, he, you know, Coach Deem made him the workhorse, and he didn't complain about it. He just took it and gave it all because he was just as loyal to Nebraska. That's what that was the comments so about him. So, yeah, without him, we may never have had, you know, Guy Chamberlain never had that. Jeez. Yeah. That's, Rock, yeah. that's, that's deep right there. I, I think once we actually get the 1915 team recognized as a national champion, which uh, is inevitable, uh, these type of stories will come out. Right? Well, they should. Absolutely. I think so. Roger Craig would do the same thing 70 years later, giving up the, uh, the lead rush, lead running back to become the fullback for uh, Rozier. So. Selfless. <laughs> wow. Team. Really There's are. a pattern there. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Honky, you, you, you started this. What, what's your uh... – Okay, well, I'll go with a two offense and two defense here. Um, on offense, I'm going to go with Doug DeBose for running back. I think he was outstanding in the mid-'80s. He, In fact, he was – I mean, he was – lighten it up, but then injuries just ended up kind of ending it early for him. Uh, Quarterback-wise, I want to throw out Dennis Claridge. I don't know that, especially as time has gone on, that people fully appreciate. And Unfortunately, Claridge just passed away earlier this year, but I don't know that people appreciate I mean, this is the guy, the first two years Devaney was here, forget all the talk about you know, recruiting your own player. This was the guy on the team, and he was a leader. He he led this team into, into the Devaney era, and and immediate success. I think Claridge uh, definitely would be on that list. Defensively, I, I had a couple. I've got about four or five guys, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say Toby Wright is a safety I right like right before the Minters and Tony Velans, who actually is kind of on my list too. But or the Mike Browns. But Toby Wright is a guy that that dude laid people out. And in fact, his son were recruiting right now. Um, but Toby was a guy that I throw out there. And the other one is Willie Harper, defensive end. On the 71, 70, you know, 72 national title teams, the 71 national title team. And the reason I'm throwing him as underrated is he's on the same D-line as a Rich Glover, as a Larry Jacobson, guys that were winning Outland awards. And 
Harper was an All-American. He, you know, he wasn't somebody that didn't get some hardware to come along with it, but I don't think that he's remembered in the same light as Glover, as Jacobson, but was probably every bit as good in, in a lot of cases. Nice. Mac, how about you? Um, on offense, you know, I go back on YouTube and you can watch a lot of old games, and sometimes it reaffirms what you thought of a player, and sometimes it surprises you. And one of those guys who stood out to me was uh, Darren Diedrich. Uh, he oh, ran yeah. the ball so hard, and he was pretty fast. I mean, that guy was actually pretty legit running back. You know, you're just coming off the tail end of a Lawrence Phillips and a Amon Green and, you know, Buck Halter. It's, it's kind of hard to stand up to that comparison, but if you look over the next few years, he really – he was a pretty decent back at that time. Yeah. Um, Quarterback-wise, maybe – it's hard for anybody from the Callahan era, but I really like Zach Taylor. I mean, I remember like when we went to that coach's clinic and watching him just take hit after hit after oh, hit. Yeah. The kid was tough as hardened leather, man. Dude, so, we, we watched the practice yeah. where he won the the won the uh, the quarterback spot away from uh, Joe Daly. Joe Daly, a yeah. two hour right nonstop goes on has has a great career here. You know, he's been nothing but a, a pretty good ambassador for Nebraska. You know, he's coaching mm-hmm. the NFL right now. He's out yep. in L.A. doing his thing. So. Um, but, you know, just a tough, hard-nosed kid from Oklahoma that was, you know, you were pretty happy to watch. And, and as it turns out, maybe kind of the highlight of the Callahan era anyway. You yeah. Know? So uh, defensively, going back a little bit, I don't know that Michael Booker ever gets the credit as an all-time corner that he should. I think Michael Booker was amazing. I thought he was locked down back in those days. Baron Miles, you know, Tyrone Williams – you know, the, Ralph Brown, Ralph those Brown, guys, right. Keel Craver, they all kind of came in with gross, you know. We had a lot of good corners there for a while. But Booker, to me, he was 6'2", you know, drafted in the first round by Atlanta. You mm-hmm. know, for whatever reason, it didn't really work in the pros. But, man, he he was amazing. It's he cra- came up big in the Florida it's game. It's crazy. I agree with you on this because he was, he was the highest – um, drafted out of any of the guys you just mentioned, but you're right. It felt like his time was so abbreviated here. Mm-hmm. It was so so short, and he was right in between the Miles Williams and then and then Ralph Brown and Keo Craver kind of time frame that it, uh, he almost does get lost. Well, even, even though like he was a first Prince Amokamara or you know Alfonso Denard. You know we've had a lot of good corners. Fabian yeah. Washington, exactly. Yeah. Fabian yeah. Washington. You know the guy. The guy made millions from a forty time. You know like. <laughs> Thanks, Al Davis. Yeah, but Booker was legit. I think Booker was in a really good corner. So that's those are those are my guys. Those are good, dude. That's good stuff. Uh, well, since I was at Columbus days and I heard uh, Dan Penzik and uh, Jim Pillen, Cleet Pillen talking, I my head's thinking about late seventies era uh, Husker teams that sometimes gets forgotten between the the national title runs in the early seventies and and then the the great early eighties teams. And so I was thinking of uh, and. And uh, running backs in particular, I named my dog Jarvis Redwine. And uh, <laughs> Jarvis Redwine was an All-American in 1980, a phenomenal running back for us. And there was a whole era there, you know. You had I Am Hip, uh, Redwine, and Rick Burns were all, all solid uh, running backs yep. for us, kind of in that in-between era. And then uh, more recently, um, uh, OK Corral, uh, Corral Buckhalter, uh, was a running back that uh, I always thought was probably a lot better than what we even utilized him for. He ended up going on to have a, a decent NFL career, you know. So there was a couple that come to mind. Hey, Dave, I, I have to ask because you and I both coached with Dan Penzik for several years. You know, how how was he uh, today? Did you get a chance to say hi to him at all? 
I did not. I, I had to. I, I could not stick around because I had to make the trip back here to Denver. But uh, he was his typical uh, friendly and happy Dan uh, Penzik self, uh, cracking some good jokes and stories with the crowd. Everybody enjoyed it. Uh, he had some good stories uh, about the Pillins, and uh, he was on just before uh, Dr. Tom took the stage. So it was great. Yeah, love that guy, Columbus native. Good dude. Absolutely. All right, Honk. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, mailbag Maybe or Twitter wise? Maybe should have said Joe Blahock or or Kush from Columbus for underrated. Well, I mean, I could, we could come up with an all Columbus underrated team, but that's that's another show. True. Um, <laughs> that Jack's question was the one mailbag question we'll do here this week. But uh, we did have a Twitter poll I wanted to follow up on. We kind of started it last week, but I wanted to let it fully play out. And dude, this one took a whole life of another. I wasn't expecting it. It was about the balloons. And there's a balloon um, a billboard up in Southwest uh, Lincoln. It was paid for by a nonprofit from Florida. So we just asked the question, basically saying uh, the billboard says stop littering. And the question was, should we do it? Yes or no? Should we stop doing balloons at, at the Husker game? Clemson does a mass balloon launch. They're stopping it this year. So they're no longer doing it. There are only two mass balloon launches left in the country. One of them is in Lincoln, and the other one, anyone? Who, where's the other one at? Disney Indianapolis World. 500. The Indy 500. So those are the only two. And Disney World releases balloons every day, I promise. <laughs> those kids can't hold on to anything. So the, <laughs> the question started to become, should you know, I mean, we were getting, like, we're getting, like, national balloon haters that, you know, are not following us on Twitter and stuff, but they were getting involved with this, and they're sent. I've seen more photos of dead birds and dead turtles and things that have died, and autopsies have been done, and balloons came out of them somehow. <laughs> it's the same photo, actually. They just keep using it over and over. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it, here's the thing. I mean, as, as, as a Husker fan, we all want to be responsible about things. Nobody wants to be – we don't want to be the last balloon-launching, you know, team and, and be – you know, be viewed nationally as, you know, we hate the environment, all that. And we don't, we, 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 uh, I've seen kind of the statements that we have non, you know, we have, uh, biodegradable Biodegradable. balloons that we're using and everything, but my gosh, the balloon people on this, they were even knocking that down, like that a biodegradable balloon still takes three to four years to, to actually degrade. And then in the process, again, a turtle eats it and the turtle dies. And I, I can't tell you how many of these photos we saw, but with over a thousand votes, 77%, said don't get rid of the tradition so um pretty sure like, those are husker fans it's like it's like smoking you know it's like you you can't really make a good argument for hey i should be allowed to let these balloons fly off near and pop wherever and land you know that seems like un, you know it's reasonable go guys can you stop doing that that's a lot of litter but it's like smoking there's no good argument for smoking but when you tell somebody to stop smoking it's like whatever well and the other thing is have a <laughs> have an option that that seems reasonable too like We've had the non-balloon people say, what you should do is you can get, like, flags, and people can paint them red, mm. and that would be fun. Or, or you can blow bubbles. And I'm like, when the hell did Mike Riley's twin brother become a party planner? I mean, that's, you, know, you have to have a better option than that. Bubbles are nice. I mean, it, it's Kids nice. Kids go crazy for those. I mean, is there, I asked the question to some balloon hater, and I said, is it possible to have, like, edible balloons that are biodegradable so that... That even if it takes a couple years to, to degrade, if something eats it in the meantime, at least it's edible. I mean, they make edible underwear, for Christ's sakes. Mm. <laughs> okay. I'll just uh, take it, you know, a slightly different perspective here. You know, I, I don't care that much about the balloon launch. If it goes away, it wouldn't 
hurt my feelings if we stopped releasing balloons. Just, you know, whatever. Maybe they litter. I'm no expert in the, the field of biodegradable organic, you know, chemistry or anything like that. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a waste of helium, sure. I just don't want this to become, like, some big distraction you know, for the fan I base totally and for the team you, and for the athletic departments. You know, I don't want this to become, like, some clickbait thing that, you know, ESPN decides to run a story on how we are the last big major sporting yep. event or college to do something like this. And it, and then we spend all our time arguing about balloons when there's so many better things we could be doing with ourselves and the program has to waste time. Or the university has to waste time and look bad on doing this. You know, that's just something to think about, I guess. Just I agree. I think we should just yep, stop doing more. it for the first five weeks, say we quit entirely, and then start the tradition back up and not tell anybody. And you know, by that time, the news will just boil over. That'd be fine. Five weeks, yeah, we quit. But you I mean, have. If we're winning, if we're winning, no one's going to remember balloons anyway. So, but be fine. you haven't seen the uh, the anti balloon people's tweets, then Mac. They'll be they'll be all over us. Yeah, that's the problem. Social. All media. right, guys. Let's. <laughs> Let's uh, call that a uh, mailbag and Twitter section. So let's uh, tackle the Big Ten. We've been going through all the conferences uh, over the last few weeks, and we have now arrived on the Big Ten. And uh, I, as you probably heard, if you listened to our previous podcast, we're not doing our predictions uh, with these previews. We'll do that next week when we wrap up the preseason and uh, are ready for week one. But uh, let's dive into a Big Ten preview, and let's start with that Big Ten East, which we had talked a little bit about in the first segment of the show and, and how competitive that should be. Uh, Honky, uh, what's your initial uh, take outside of all the scandals that we have in the Big Ten East on on what the, the season looks like out there on the East side? On the East side, I, I mean, I, we touched on it earlier, but it, it's worth touching on. This is the deepest conference or division of any conference by far at the top of teams that feel like they have a chance to, to make it at least to the playoffs. Let's not talk national championship, but just get to the playoffs, right? The feeling is whoever wins that East is should win the, the conference title. They should you know win the Big Ten championship against whoever the West opponent is. And if you do that, you are definitely in the playoffs. And so obviously you have both Michigan schools, you have Penn State and Ohio State, four out of seven schools, more than half, Feel they have a legitimate shot at getting there, and that's that's is something it, that is unique. Is it possible? Maybe Boomer, you can jump on this one. Is it possible that the four teams in the the Big Ten East, so Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State, beat themselves up in that round robin? Both and all of them end with at least two losses. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I mean that's don't certainly a possibility. And the Big Ten being what it is, it's likely to screw itself up somehow doing that, and all of them to. I know the couple losses that are Iowa will screw things up for everyone somehow too. But no, that's certainly something you got to worry about. I mean, there are really great teams, but there is that potential that, you know, unlike you know the vaunted SEC West, where you know you don't even have to win that division to make the playoffs. You know, it's, you're going to probably have to come out of that with just one loss. I mean, I don't, I don't know if the college football playoff is ready to take a two-loss team and do it yet. But they have this could be the year you might yet. see it. I don't know if there's if the depth is what we think it is in the East. You might have a good valid argument for it. Yeah, you know, Mac, uh, the, you you brought up Penn State earlier, and it does seem like these top four programs in Big Ted East are really just really ramping up recruiting, and they're really reloading quicker than ever. Uh, you think Penn State is is going to be able to rise above that, uh, even above Ohio State here, whether it's this year or the, or the next couple of years? Well, I think the thing that Penn State has going for it, and 
the biggest thing it has going for it is the returning quarterback. You know, in that in that division and that side, that is the, the kind of the key factor that's missing for a lot of teams. Yes, they lose Saquon Barkley, uh, but if anyone's paying attention, it's it's not that there won't be a drop off, but it's also not that they don't have anybody who can tote the rock. That Sanders kids back there is elite, special. Um, they've been recruiting just fine back there, so there's no reason to think they can't keep moving the ball. And like I said, the quarterback position they're strong at. So. Uh, with Ohio State having some off-the-field issues, with Michigan trying to break in a new quarterback. You know, Michigan State is legit, but, I mean, the talent – if you're looking at a talent stack up, uh, Penn, State's, Penn State's done better, and they've been developing just fine over there at Penn State. So that, to me, this could be a year that Penn State slips in there, you know, and really does some damage. There you go. Honk? Well, I think one of the things that you talked about, like, could a two-loss team get in there? And it all depends on what happens in the non-conference. So if you have some two-loss teams, but but Michigan goes out and beats Notre Dame, if Ohio State goes out and beats my TCU team that I, I mentioned as a, as a sleeper, right? If you get some of those good quality non-conference wins, obviously Michigan State can't lose to Herm Edwards and, and Arizona State. Obviously Penn State can't lose to Pitt. So those are the big non-conference games that those teams are playing. If, you, if those teams go 12-0 and in their four non-conferences – and then they get into the East and they start to beat each other up and somebody comes out of there with two losses but is but is the champ of the East, yeah, you have a shot. You know, but and this is really important. The Big Ten just in, in general, we need to win some non conference games. We saw last year when Ohio State lost to Oklahoma early, it starts to set that narrative at a very early stage about where your conference is. So Boomer Rutgers needs to go in and, and beat the Jayhawks down there in Lawrence. Is that what <laughs> oh, Monkey saying? Oh, I think so. Yeah, that's uh, everyone's got that game circled on their calendar. They've had it for years, actually. So I'm, I'm, I've heard StubHub prices are up to three dollars and seventy-five cents. So <laughs> does Rutgers make a move now that everybody in the East, including Maryland, has been shaken? You know, like ooh, that's right. That's you're right. Scarlet Knights. Doors open yeah. for Indiana. Uh, yeah, Maryland does play Texas again, I think. So I, they do. I, those, Open game. Yep. Yeah. Indiana's a team that's not as laughable as those two, I guess, right now. But they probably are up uh, against a pretty difficult schedule, I would guess. So I don't know if uh, Indiana's going to make any, any ground up this year. Yeah, they're laughable enough. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, what about our own Big Ten West? Obviously... Uh, no surprise that Wisconsin is a clear favorite here, but uh, what's your thoughts uh, after that, Honky? Well, Iowa has uh, two offensive linemen and two defensive linemen suspended for the Northern Illinois game so uh, to kick off the season. So we're guaranteed that they'll lose that, and then they'll turn around, and then they'll screw things up and win the West and, and uh, you know, hurt, hurt the whole uh, division from the start. It'll be kind of like a North Dakota State loss all over again. But – Honestly, if you look just schedules, and you guys, Mac or Boomer and Dave, you guys kind of break down the schedules a little more than I do, but but Iowa probably has the easiest route of the West top teams in terms of I think they only have one major uh, crossover opponent. They play Penn State. Yeah. Wisconsin, uh, shoot, is it Michigan? And they play Ohio State too. Is that Boomer, do you know? Are you talking Iowa or are you talking uh... – Wisconsin. Did, Oh, Wisconsin? They, I think they have two good crossover games. And then, of course, Nebraska has Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State, two of those on the road. So, you know, you start to get into schedule when you're talking about the West, and, and I think Iowa probably has the, the cleanest route. They play at home against Wisconsin and Nebraska. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, Wisconsin, Wisconsin travels to Michigan and to Penn State. So. Penn, okay, Penn State was the other one, yeah. That's right. Iowa also travels to Penn State, but... But that was it other, That was it for their crossovers. The other two were against, you know... They have Indiana and Maryland. Yep, there you go. Yep, Staley back for Iowa's a big component, and Hornybook back for Wisconsin's a big component, too. So they both got returning. Returning quarterbacks is always a big leg up. Um, be interesting to see you know, where their weaknesses are this year. Everybody's convinced that Wisconsin's offense is going to be unbelievable, but what does that even really look like? I mean, they're always running the ball very well. They're always really good at play action uh, passing. So, mm-hmm. yes, their wide receivers may be better this year, but I don't know that you're looking for, for Wisconsin to start hanging 50 points on people. But if their defense is weaker, uh, then, you know, that but that might change the way they play. Iowa looks like – I think Iowa will look like they're – their defense is going to be strong. They're probably going to do a little bit more with uh, with uh, Nathan Stanley back there. The running game will be a big part of it. So I don't know. They, it's it's not going to it's going to be status quo. We'll just see how good Wisconsin actually is. You know, and, and Nebraska was, being Wisconsin an lost. Wisconsin lost uh, one of their their top wide receiver actually, right? At least temporarily. Quintez Cephas. Yeah, 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 yeah. What happened? Correct. I don't. I'm not sure what legal troubles. Take, it's kind of yeah. Yeah. He stepped away, but sounds like there could be some criminal charges potentially. Yeah, I'm not, not coming, sure what so all that is. But sounds I think, like they have been recruiting better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the defense there. I mean, the, the 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 narrative year after year after year with Wisconsin is they can lose defensive coordinators, they can lose multiple players, and they just reload. And that's going to be challenged this year because I think that this is the weakest their defense has looked coming back in probably five or six years. I mean, they're getting to a point right now on the defensive line. We've talked about Bryson Williams, the Lincoln Southeast kid, you know, playing early, and he will probably. But they've been moving offensive linemen over to the defensive side. So there's some – there's clearly they, – they think that they're hanging on their offense this year, and it's the reason why I think they're susceptible maybe to, to some losses people don't see Wisconsin doing. But there's a lot more talk about this offense right now. And, and – if you look at even when they won last year, they're winning games that were close and, and, and low-scoring games and stuff. So that, that wasn't like that offense was going up and putting 30 and 40 points up a game on teams to where you should feel like that's, that's your strong point this year. I don't know. I mean, there's, we'll, we'll find out there. I think, I think Iowa just clearly just looking off of, the, uh, off of the schedule, I think Iowa has a pretty clean route to it. Now, we are a podcast, so that means we're required by law to drink. So let's talk about Minnesota for a second. And did you know that they have a lot of youth on the team? Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, right. a lot of fresh faces. I'm going to take a, I'm, I'm gonna take a chunk yeah. here. Uh, and and uh, freshmen. And uh, inexperienced. They're inexperienced. Uh, row the boat. So you're you're feeling that Minnesota's a ways from turning the quarter how, corner. How about Purdue? I'm. I don't buy. I'm sorry. I, I'm the one that's not buying Purdue. I, we beat them last year, so yeah. Probably Purdue. Yeah. Purdue won't wow you with talent, but I think a well-coached Purdue team could do some damage. Uh, you know, and some teams that might take them lightly. And Boomer hit on this really well. That when Nebraska plays uh, Purdue and Boomer, I think you said that was the, that was your home game or that was your conference game. You were kind of you know looking right. forward forward to. When we play them right in between road games at Michigan and Wisconsin, it is a that is a tricky time for us to to be playing them. Yeah, a well, the, uh, Wildcats could beat a team that didn't take them seriously. That's my thinking. 
We'll see how that how that adds up. We you know, I'm, I hope it'd be kind of cool if Purdue got. We better so. take everyone serious. We, we're four and six. We're gonna take them serious. Everybody. Four and eight. Minnesota. Who's counting the losses though, right, Mac? Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, anything else in the Big Ten West? Anybody want to talk about Northwestern, Illinois? You know. Hey, AJ Bush doesn't want to talk about Illinois. Is AJ Bush com, uh, competing for the starting job at Illinois? It sounds I heard like he got it. Sounds like he's getting it, dude. That's exciting. That's good for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's great that he actually was able to transfer a second time, and uh, this time it actually really, really paid off for him. That's, hey, that's awesome. Four times a charm. You know. He, yeah, it's he. He could have his own reality show mm-hmm. for all his trips. <laughs> that is just so much paperwork to me. Yeah, his resume. I mean, that's that a good point because his resume is going to be like three pages just off of schools. But I mean, I am happy for him though. That's good for him, and, and he stuck with it, and he's going to end up his career a, a starting quarterback in the Big Ten West, which is what he wanted to do all along. Yep. So Very cool. All right, guys. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else in the Big Ten before we move on to parting shots? I'm good. Let's do it, hockey. All right, uh, Messiah Newsom, Husker recruit out of uh, Waverly, Iowa. His first game of the season is going to be on NBC Sports Chicago, and that's on uh, August 23rd at 7 p.m. So if, you're, if you have NBC Sports Chicago, tune in. And uh, my other one is just I want to thank you guys uh, again, Redcasters. I do this a lot, but I want to thank you guys. We just went over 3,000 social media followers in the last week. So... Uh, it's kind of cool. We, we are getting more listeners every week as we're getting closer to the season, and now we're getting uh, you know some pretty good numbers with our social media. So it's just that's a credit to you guys. Thanks for thanks for tuning in and, and following. Absolutely. All right, Mac. Um, I just want to give a shout out to the Husker fans in general. I loved hearing about how early people were getting lined up for Fan Day this year. Um, that renewed energy in towards the program and the just the attitude towards football this this season has just been invigorating, man. That the the Scott Frost effect is in full force, man, and you can you can feel it, you can smell it, you can sense it. We're so close, we're so close. Milk was a dollar right. seventy one today at Walmart. <laughs> Sixty nine cent eggs at High V. I, I saw today, so Scott Frost. Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> I think it's Scott that's that's phenomenal. All right, and Boomer. Uh, well, it was kind of a, a somber weekend here at the Boomer household. The Husker flags were flying half-staff, and one of the reasons I opted for uh, Dick Rutherford for my, uh, you know, forgotten Husker was uh, it was the 95th anniversary of the passing of uh, Nebraska's all-time greatest coach, uh, Ewald Jumbo Steam. Uh, he did die at a very young age at age 37, so he had stomach cancer. So oh. just uh, just want to, you know, again, remind everybody of, of just a touch of his record, you know, uh, I was here 1911 through the 1915 season. Won the conference, or at least shared the conference title every year. Was here, never lost a conference game. Only lost twice in that entire span. So, and was also our basketball coach while he was here as well. And a lot of interesting stories about the guy. Maybe some other podcasts we'll get into some of those. But if you thought uh, Bo Pelini had a temper, uh, he had some uh, interesting things to go as well. So, <laughs> but we remember you, Ewald. Drinks to That's you. That's right. Maybe we can get some... that. What's that guy's name? Uh, Kent. Oh, who's the documentarist? documentary guy like ken burns? ken burns ken burns can we get him on that mike Hashtag he's got it. some time to kill now i don't know what he's doing he's done baseball vietnam civil war yeah. this is a natural transition so why not 1915 national champion nebraska cornhuskers that's what it should be about here we go 
All right, guys, great stuff, great stuff. All right, we spanned a century of Husker football tonight. Uh, next week, we will be looking towards week one and uh, all of our uh, season predictions. So for now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. Edible balloons. Edible balloons.